BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you start, I have to say, whoever that signed up on notepedia.com, please follow me. I want more followers than James. You deserve more followers than me, really, Jay. I know. your lists are always interesting and… Funny. By the way, Robin's lists always outperform mine like she gets more likes than mine she she wrote a list of the doomsday portfolio like what stocks to buy for the end of the world and i think those stocks have been doing pretty well yeah so, and i was uh, there was a time when during the beta version i can see the followers i can see who ranked number one and mine jay it's always at the top yeah but then, that's because the only <laughs> users of the site were the developers and they yeah, yeah. and the people and, you invited your friends yeah so yeah. you you and you're tricking those, the system all the developers are like from Malaysia, so they're like they're like your neighbors from when you were growing up. <laughs> so yeah, I have to call them. Hey, can you follow me on Nupedi.com, please? <laughs> and then, yeah, that, that's how we talk in Malaysia. But uh... <laughs> so I the, today's today's idea list of the day is a topic near and dear to my heart. I've been through this many times. Uh, this is by uh, he has a username K I E R O N I U S Rex Kiranius Rex. And, and so the list is 10 problems you may face when starting a small business and how to overcome them. So again, 10 problems that small businesses face and how to overcome them. And these are from his personal experience, starting a commercial aquaponics farm and a STEM learning garden consultation installation business. That's a lot of adjectives for that last business. So it's yeah. STEM learning yeah. garden. I guess you teach people how to install gardens and that's your business. So... Uh, no, but no, anyway. no, no. I thought learning garden is mean how 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 to plant uh, stuff. Yeah, you teach people how to <laughs> you oh, don't build know. a what's garden. The, what's the installation though? The installations? Oh, maybe you're right. Never mind. I don't know. So so his first point, by the way, I agree with his list, but having I, I feel like in the so my my first business I started in the nineties. And I was so bad at business that I was just, I happened to be lucky. I was in a very hot space, which is we were building websites for companies when no companies had a website and nobody knew how to make a website. Then I happened to know how, and very few other people did. So I was very lucky because I made every business mistake you can make. So I think, uh, Kiranis Rex knows more about business than I did then. Cause I had many more problems. His first one is obviously the most important is client acquisition. How do you get a customer? And it's a very interesting point because up until the point when a customer meets you, 
they're usually pretty happy with their situation, their life situation. Like they don't know that they have a problem until they meet you and you could solve the problem and then they hire you. Otherwise they would continue. If, if you never existed, they would continue doing what they did. So like, you know, w when we were tr convincing people to build a website, we had to convince them that this was a problem that they had. And, and of course we would say everybody else is making a website and eventually a huge chunk of your business might be off your website. And they would be like, no way that's never going to happen. Cause like, I mean, nobody had a website that American express.com we built, they didn't have a website before then. Or I said to HBO one day, pe more people are going to be viewing HBO over the internet than on television. And now there's a course. Has the day come yet or not? Well, it's now it's, you, you use your television to view HBO on the internet. <laughs> so it's like a hybrid. So, uh, but nobody ever believed me, but they still got nervous enough that they said, okay, I see that my competitor is building a website, so I should build a website. So, but it, it, like a friend of mine told me a great story about, he, he had a product, it was in the cybersecurity space. Like he protected big companies from getting invaded by what are called bots. Bots are like little viruses that sit on your computer. And then they're suddenly like, there are millions of them and they're suddenly activated like sleeper cells and they, you know, create havoc and chaos after that. And almost every company is invaded by them. And he has, uh, his company had a way of avoiding that. So he pitched eBay and eBay, he had a, a friend who was the decision maker. So, so he already knew the decision maker, but so the friend brought in all the developers and the developer said, oh my God, this is great. And then they brought in the finance people and the finance people said, this software alone would save us $40 million a year. Holy shit. So he had all these things going for him. And did they hire his company? No, they did not hire his company because client, they were fine with the way they were already doing business. And they were fine losing 40 million a year because other areas of their business, they were losing 200 million a year. So they had, they had to focus their priorities on those things. So oh. you never, there, there's, there's so many aspects to client acquisition. You, not only do you have to have good sales technique and a decent product. You don't have to have the best product. You have to have a decent product, but they, you have to figure out, uh, and this is my friend's theory. You, you have to figure out what they can't do without. You have to convince them that they basically cannot not have this, if that makes any sense. So client acquisition is very hard in general. So what would you do? Well, here's the thing I noticed about client acquisition. Um, and this is talking about like B2B businesses. It's not necessarily talking about like, if you have a new type of ramen noodles, how you get people to buy it. That's a different <laughs> thing. This right. is like when you're trying to sell a big business, uh, on you, you really, you really have to be their friend. You have to convince the decision maker that not only is he gaining a product or she is gaining a product that will make their business better and, and their personal lives better because remember they have a boss. So they have the, their boss has to be impressed with them for hiring you. So you have to make their lives better, but they also want a friend. They're not going to hire, they're not going to hire someone or outsource something to someone who they don't have friendly feelings towards because they want to be able to call you and talk about things with you and not just talk business with you. They're basically more likely to hire a friend than not a friend. So I would make sure when I was, and again, I knew nothing about business, nothing about sales, but I made sure with everybody I 
was trying to sell my services to that they liked me and that I would, you know, be involved in their life a little bit. And sometimes I became too involved in their lives, which became a drag for me, but, um, it was, it so was back then you sometimes. were both the developer and the salesperson or did yeah, you well, have well, someone who would do that? Because no, usually it, it's kind of a two person job, right? Yeah. So I was developer, designer, salesperson, employee, hire, employee, manager. Uh, when you have a small business, everybody is kind of everything, but I, I really was really the only salesperson and the only developer, um, a designer. I was, we had many designers, but, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was 24 hours a day, which was another problem I had to face when starting a small business is that I was spending literally 24 hours a day and never sleeping. Cause I didn't, I wasn't very good at delegating. So, uh, but so this number one is, is the most important. He mentions other things like insurance, legal taxes, and some other good stuff too. Like how you manage your, you know, people don't manage their cash flow. I, I, I think in a small business, people don't know where their cash flow is coming from. So we never tracked employee hours per project. We would just ask at the end of the month, do we have any cash or do we not have cash? Uh, and but we didn't know which employees really generated the most cash and, and which clients generated the most cash. So sometimes so if you, the, if you could go back, what would you change specifically for this cash flow? Uh, I would have people track hours per project and then see, oh, this project paid us $10,000, but it only cost us a thousand dollars or, or this project paid us a hundred thousand dollars, but it cost us $150,000 to, to do. So I would track that better. Uh, you know, and, and then there's look and sales is an ongoing thing that you have to always figure out, like what's the best way to sell your product. And sometimes you have to change your product because just because you think you have a good product and just because the whole world tells you, you have a good product does not mean you have a sellable product. So that's another thing to think about is, uh, what products actually create more like, for instance, providing service to make a website was not a good thing for me to sell. I should have instead sold software to companies to help them build a website that would have provided a lot more value to my company. Because when you provide a service, it's not as much value as providing uh, a product, uh, particularly a software product, which is very scalable. And then, you know, another thing that people underestimate is in general, in a business with like 20 or 30 people at it, your employees are going to start having sex with each other. <laughs> and this is a very complicated problem to face in a small business because they might be really good employees. And, but now suddenly they're like, you know, depressed if it's not, if the relationship's not working out or they get jealous or things happen and, and managing employees when, once it starts to get between more than like five or six employees, I think is a very, is a very hard thing. You know, we're, we're solving the problem now with the remote working. Right. Right. That remote work is great. Like that is like the, the answer to a lot of these problems. Wait. So James, do you have, uh, anyone that cheated on their wife or a spouse when they, when they work for you? Yes. And I was very oh. much against that. And I'll, I'll tell you uh, another, when I was running a different business, when I was running a hedge fund. For a while, I had a kind of hedge fund that invested in other hedge funds. I had a fund of hedge funds. I would not invest in any hedge fund if I suspected or found out that 
the hedge fund manager was was cheating on their spouse. Because if they're going to cheat on their spouse, they're going to cheat on you. And I saw it again and again, how that proved to be true. So I, I wouldn't have anyone, and I tried not to have any employees who were cheating on spouses. You can't always track all of that. But uh, was that like, part of the interview process? Yeah, I, that would be great. Like now you have all sorts of rules about what you can and can't ask. I wish I could have asked uh, about all that stuff, but now I think you're not even allowed to ask that stuff. But that, but that's really important. You have to kind of figure that out. Is this person cheating on their spouse? Right. What about this one? Overcompensate and overdeliver to overcome price. Yeah, very important. And this is was a rule at my first business. My first business was really the, the main business I had that was enter, biz, business to business. It was an enterprise-focused business. So I would always, I don't know what he means by overcompensate, but I would always over-deliver. And I, or I, I'm sorry, I would always over-promise and then over-deliver on my over-promise. So if someone said, can you make uh, a, a website that does A and B? I would say, not only could I do that, but I could do a website that does A, B, and C, and then I would deliver a website that does A, B, C, and D, because then you just never lose them as customers if you consistently overpromise and overdeliver. And some people say to me when I when I say this, some people say, "Don't you mean underpromise and overdeliver?" And I say, "No, because when you're underpromising, you're lying, because it's a way to kind of uh, uh, set their expectations low so that you overdeliver just by doing your normal activity." But uh, when I overpromise and overdeliver, sometimes my partners will look at me like, "Are you crazy? We can't do that by this date that you're promising." And they, everybody would have to work all weekend, and we'd get it done. But look, we were a small business, and when you're a small business and you have competition, that's the way you stand out. The word of mouth gets around about the people who overpromise and overdeliver. Mm. Do you think you get word of mouth even today or have things changed too much? No, no. Even today, if you're over, if you're always over promising and over delivering. So for instance, whenever I've sold a business, this is a key point because not only when you sell it, selling a business is very difficult. And, uh, I don't like to invest for instance, in companies where the CEO hasn't previously sold a business because it's a skill all by itself. And when I sell a business, I always make sure I have some feature or aspect or product of my business that I haven't released yet that I release the day we're fully sold into another business because then it keeps your buyers from having buyer's remorse. And, you know, you get, you, you, it just makes your life a lot easier when you over deliver on your business, even on your entire business, when you sell the business. So with, right. with stock picker, which is a site I sold in a website, which was like a social network for people who like investing the, the day after I, uh, I sold the business, I introduced a feature that allowed people to ask questions about stocks. And it was kind of like a Quora for stocks. And I didn't release that until after we were already within the new company. And oh. even though it might've made the value of my business higher if I had released it earlier. Interesting. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a, a thing always. The other thing is when you're selling, if you overpromise, no one else is overpromising. So that's how you stand out from your competition. And then you right. keep the customer when you overdeliver. So now, uh, but eventually you, I'll tell you how though, eventually you lose the customer because you can't constantly mm. exceed expectations. So, right. but you're you going to lose, 
you're pretty much going to lose every customer eventually anyway. Like people just right. want to change and they want things different anyway. So it, it, you just have to, that's another problem with a small business. You just have to accept the fact that even your best customers are eventually going to go away. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of en entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
So if you were to add something to this list, what would you add? Managing employees. You have to know when to use them, when to lose them, when to fire them, you know, what, when to, you know, sometimes employees get what I call is, uh, you, you have to be, you have to be very aware of the stairwells right outside your, your business, because that's where the employees kind of congregate to talk about you. And so you have to be very aware of what, who's hanging out in the stairwells because they get what's called the, what I call the disease. The disease is they're somewhat disgruntled with either the business or the managers or the customers or whatever. And if, and once you get the disease, it's hard to get rid of it unless you're fired and you spread the disease to the other employees very quickly. The, the, the employee disease is very contagious. So you have to really manage your employees very well. You have, so, so the way I think about it is I always manage employees to surpass me. So I always assume eventually they're going to quit and start a competitor to me. And that's a good way to manage them because a, it means their skills are going to be better than yours eventually. And so it's great to have a bunch of employees whose skills are on their way to being better than yours. And look, you just have to face the fact that eventually they're going to, they're going to quit anyway at some point. And right. by managing in such a way that they, you know, that they're eventually they're going to quit with superior skills to you. You won't get as upset when they do quit. Like I had a bunch of employees who were great, who eventually quit to start their own business. And my partners were so upset that, that our best employees quit, but I treated them with a lot of respect when they quit and I referred customers to them and they eventually referred customers to us. So, you know, if you treat people well, what, what goes around comes around. Do you think you picked this, uh, uh, this employees well from the beginning or did you manage to like groom them and teach them a lot? Do you think there's a, there's some sort of kind of nature or nurture when it comes to this? It's both because you could have, you could hire people who have a lot of potential, but they might not know the area. They might not know the industry. No one's going to know the industry as well as the founder or the CEO or the, or the co-founders because we've been neck deep in the industry. So you're always going to have to groom them to some extent, even if they were already, you know, good at what they did. But sometimes even if they, if they just had potential and you're not giving them something super technical, like, you know, build a new, you know, pharmaceutical drug, uh, you know, if you, you, you have to groom somewhat. But, and also they have to see how you sell things. They have to see how you manage things. You know, you want them to eventually be, have, have CEO potential. So there's always going to be some grooming, but there, there's some that's, there's a lot that's nature too, because you could avoid people who are, you know, who just put on a good interview, but they're actually really bad at follow through and, and responsible. I'm really bad at follow through. So I definitely don't want to hire someone like me. <laughs> So yeah, right. you have to be aware of your own weaknesses so you can hire people to, a lot of people hire people like them, but that's the biggest mistake you can make. I want to hire people the opposite of me. I can already do what I do. I want to hire people the opposite of me to some extent as well. Do you have any trick to weed out bad people from interviews? Like something that you think it's a red flag or something like that? I, to be honest, I don't. I feel this is one of my problems, which is that because I'm a salesman, I'm more focused on wanting people to like me than me deciding if I like others. And uh. I can't get rid of that habit without maybe getting rid of my sales ability. So I'm not really the best person at, and everybody seems great to me when I interview them because I'm trying to get them to like me. I just, that's my instinct. 
And so I don't have a way to do that. So, but other people do like other people say, oh, you know, this person seems no good. I'm like, oh no, they seem fine to me. They seem great. Uh, like, nah, nah, uh, something rubs me the wrong. Those usually the other people are, are right about that. I'm, I'm a poor judge of people. Okay. Then from now on, I'll make sure I'll be doing the interviews. Yes, you do all the interviews <laughs> for Notepad, and that will be fine with me. I'm, I'm zero. I have, I have. I don't want to say I have zero ability at it, at it, but it took me a good fifteen years, at least, maybe more, before I started having a sense of, oh, this is a person I shouldn't work with. It took. It's yeah. I would say fifteen years. Wow. Yeah. From for let's say 1995 was the first time I hired anybody for anything, and it was maybe till 2012 or 2013, or even 2016. You know that that it took a long time before I realized, oh, this person was no good, and I I still don't think I can I can choose that well. I have a problem with that. Oh, so that's why you hired Jay? Yes, <laughs> Jay is a great example, actually, of how to. First off, Jay is a full partner in the he's the producer of the podcast. He's a full partner in it, but and that was Jay's dog. Jay, Jay is yes. Jay is fighting on Jay's dog is fighting on Jay's behalf right now. But oh, yeah, uh, because he's my god dog now. Yeah, <laughs> but Jay, I worked for a long time because he worked for other podcast studios. And so yeah. it, it just got to the point where we were working together so well that he joined full-time. That's a great way to to bring someone on board. Yes. Yeah, actually, I just, uh, when my studio closed down, not me, like my boss is like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I'm like, James, you know, I I can help you manage all the studios. You know, I can be your, uh, your engineer. And then James is like, yeah, sure. I know, and then I just I just started working from there, but we worked yeah. so well because I remember every time in the studio, the guest is not here yet. James would just sit there and do his own thing, and I'm sit sit by myself do my own thing. We never talk. <laughs> That's not totally true. We talk. Um, no, no, not until like not until like when we move on to stand up New York. Then we, yeah. we 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 converse a little bit more because I was introvert, so I I, I I'm not comfortable with talking to strangers. Yeah, and I was always preparing up until the yep. last minute. And yeah. and the other thing is, Jay, you always like come up with new ideas. So that's Thank the over promising and over delivering thing. I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you one more issue, or there's there's a million issues actually. I'll make my own list on Notepad with this. But this is an odd issue. But people don't realize how important it is to have a good landlord, <laughs> because oh shit, let's say your landlord doesn't like you. What you there's lots of problems you could have. Like uh, you know, I'll give you one example. Uh, when I sold a business once, my landlord it just so happened didn't like us, and you know we had ten thousand square feet, so a full floor, and we had about forty or fifty employees in there, and we couldn't really move so easily. And when you sell a business, your landlord, believe it or not, has to approve of you selling the business because the landlord's going to have a new tenant. You're no longer going to be the tenant. The company that buys you is the new tenant and they have to approve of the switching of tenants. So this, the very first time I sold a business, I had $0 in the bank. I was totally broke and we were selling a business. I was going to make good money. And it all hinged on me convincing the landlord who hated us, who was trying to throw us out to approve of this sale. And so, uh, uh, it he was, asked for money. Uh, no, he, it was hard. It was hard to know what he was asking for. He worked in the garment district in New York, so he was like, you know, I don't know if you could picture what that kind of person is like, but he, he was a very hardcore kind of guy. And 
I think he, you know, this was during the internet boom. So I think he just wanted to know what company was buying us to see if, if he, if they were a public stock and if he should buy it. So he wanted like inside information. Oh, right, wow. I'm not trying to be offensive or whatever. Does he talk like this? Hey, Tony, what is your business doing? Is this, does he sound like that? Uh, a little less Italian. <laughs> yeah. so, it's not a scene out of the Godfather. Yeah, the, but it was, it was more, but, but picture that. <laughs> but picture that like though, like the garment district in New York is very much right. Jewish. So picture that like uh, hardcore uh, New York Jewish accent. And so that's, like, that's what they were like. It's like, yo, James, let's go get some coffee and we talk about it. Uh, more like, uh, get, get the F out of here. I don't want to F and you, you guys, you guys have three days to leave. Like, I, I don't care if you're getting bought, like, and, oh, man. and, and then and you say, what are you effing stupid? You heard me get out of here. And, uh, so, uh, uh, and he would use oh, harsher man. words than that, but I didn't know, I didn't know landlords, landlords can cause such a big issues. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of, that's the thing about starting a business is that there's lots mm. of things that you don't know about until they happen and only bad things happen. Like the good things you always expect. Oh, a lot of people are going to buy my product. I'm going to make a lot of money and then sell for gazillions of dollars. You always, those things you expect, you never expect the bad things. Like what if your industry changes, which, which right. by the way, like my first business, the website development business drastically changed because you didn't have to hire an outside company to do it once WordPress got there. Uh, hmm. you had to, you know, you, you never expect that you're going to arrive at a customer's office and you're not going to be able to figure out how to use their <laughs> computer. Like one time I may have told this story in the podcast before, but one time I was pitching Tupac's mom on doing a website for Tupac after he passed away. And I I'm in his manager's office. His manager had an IBM PC and I had never used a PC. I'd only used uh, either Apple machines or Unix machines. And so I literally did not know how to turn on his computer and he just left me out of the office. And then all the employees, this was going to be a big deal. All the employees gathered around when I got there and they, you know, everybody wanted to know what, what happened because that's how we were going to meet payroll. And I said, I just said, let's just say we're going to have no problems meeting payroll. And <laughs> because I ended up paying the payroll. Uh, that month. So, uh, uh, they didn't need to know the details, but, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of problems. I'm gonna make my own list, but this, this guy, Kiranis rest, he, he came up with a good solid list too, though, of, of 10 problems you may face when starting a small business and how to overcome them. And, and I don't know if you got, how much you guys have been involved. Like Jay, you see the startup side from my side and Paul, right. I don't know how many startups you've been involved in, but I don't know anything else you want to add to these lists. I mean, not me because like I I heard all the stories, but like it's different than when you have to when you're experiencing it. When you're experiencing it, it's actually like you know like in your in your mind the whole time. But uh, no, not that not that I have. What about you, Paolo? Oh yeah, like you said, experiencing all the problems in real life now. Right. So uh, wait, yeah. wait, 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 what about what about what about AI? Does AI know what's what's up with? Oh oh know, yeah. Paulo, you said you said you asked AI this question. And by the way, for anybody listening, where if we haven't already released it, we're releasing. Um, if you start your idea list and you need artificial intelligence to fill out the rest of your ideas, we have worked with an AI engine and combined it with what we're doing with Notepad, N-O-T-E-P-D.com, and 
we have a really good AI engine that can finish your idea. So what, what, when you asked the, what did you ask the AI? Yeah, so basically I asked it to complete the idea list that uh, we started off with. So about this, uh, these problems, I think I sent you an email with the, um, with the, what the AI recommended. Maybe can you read it? Yeah, so it said, oh, this is a really good one. Don't be afraid to ask for help. So this is the AI completely wording this, right? You didn't word this at all, right? You didn't edit Not it? Not at all. All 100% AI generated. So the first one is, don't be afraid to ask for help. There are a lot of resources available to small business owners, but it can be difficult to know where to start. Don't be afraid to ask for help from friends, family, or other business owners. That is extremely valuable. Sometimes even your competitors are your, they're like your frenemies. You could even go to them and say, what do you do in this situation? That became much more useful than I thought it would be. Um, so there's a couple of these. We'll, we'll post this one. Um, oh, this is obviously a really strong one that I'm not so good at, but network, network, network. One of the best things you can do for your small business is to network with other business owners, attend events, meetups, and webinars to expand your network. Uh, so that's two of the five that the AI came up with. I'll, I'll post the rest at, at Notepad, but it's amazing how what these other ones, how accurate it is. So, all right, so idealist of the day, 10 problems, by the way, the surprise applies not just to small business owners, but any creative activity or any size business really, or even if you're a solopreneur, like if you have your own service, or even if you're an employee, because employees should be what I call entreployees, like they should be entrepreneurs within their business to get ahead and succeed. And a lot of these suggestions uh, apply to that. Like even the networking one, go out to lunch with the secretaries of every manager in the business. That's actually an amazing, useful, call it a hack for being an employee. So, um, uh, but, but avoid having sex with them if you can. So, uh, no matter what gender or no, or no gender. Or yeah, binary, no, you, know? you can't talk about, don't talk about that. Jay, you can't, okay. no okay. gender. <laughs> Thanks very much. 10 problems. Small businesses have idealists of the day. Thanks Jay and Paulo and the listeners. Thank you. 